There. How y'all doing, Westmore Church? Merry Christmas. Let me let me say this. Uh, those songs, we'll talk about those songs here in a minute. But let me say this you, real quick. You don't want to miss next week. Uh, next week is our big Christmas service. Uh, I'll be uh, preaching a message called What's in the Box. And, and I'm going to tell you, we, this is designed. Next week's service is designed for you to invite people, people that normally wouldn't go to church, people that have given up on church that don't like church. It is designed to invite them. I mean, our band, our entire worship team will be on stage next week. Our band, we're going to be doing some incredible music next week. Uh, So I invite, I want to challenge you, invite someone next Sunday. Better yet, bring someone. It's going, to be, it's going to be an incredible Sunday. It's the Sunday before uh, Christmas. You do not want to miss it. Well, welcome to week two of our Christmas series, Ho, Ho, Hope. Uh, you say, Kelly, well, why the ser- series, this whole series? Because here's what I know. If there is a rare commodity in our world today, it's hope. It's hope. I mean, and, and let me say this, even followers of Jesus are having a hard time holding on to hope. So we're not just talking, I'm telling you, it is just a rare commodity, and it is, and here's the thing, why we lose a lot of hope sometimes, it's because we put these great, these big expectations out there, and when they're not met, we kind of lose hope. So hope sometimes it can diminish or, or, yeah, gets diminished because our expectations aren't met. And is there any other time of year when expectations are high? Like, I mean, Christmas just brings it out. You've got kids uh, expecting certain gifts. You've got adults expecting that Christmas bonus. You've got girlfriends expecting to be proposed to. You've got boyfriends expecting to break up with that girlfriend around Thanksgiving so they don't have to buy a gift for them and then getting back together with them after that. Come on, I know how it works. (laughs) Expectations. Here's a big one. Expectations of a somewhat normal Christmas this year. And so when you think about Christmases and the songs we just sing, sang, all of them are filled with expectation. It's the most wonderful time of the year. What is the expectation? Man, this should be, this should be the best time of year. Get with the program. If you're not happy, it's Christmas. Well, you need to change something. That's our expectation. Well, what about Santa Claus is coming to town? Hey, expectation is this. Ready or not. He's coming. It's funny how we use that with him, but not Jesus. Never mind. Let's go. So, <laughs> uh, what about Santa, baby? Or no blue Christmas? That Here's the explanation. If you're not here, oh, this is going to be a horrible Christmas. Blue Christmas. Santa, baby, she's basically laying out all her expectations. Here's what I expect. I expect a diamond ring. I expect a 54 convertible. Here's what I'm expecting, all these things right here. Then finally, all I want for Christmas is you. What's the expectation there? If you're not in my life, my life is going to be miserable. How much pressure is that on a person? 
to bring happiness to that one person. They're saying, all I need is you. All I want is you. That is a lot of pressure to put on somebody. Here's the biggest problem with our expectations. They're often fueled by fantasy or dreams. And then here's what happens when those expectations don't get met. We're left disappointed and frustrated, kind of like the kids in this video here. You gotta open up one of your presents. Excited for your present? Don't open it yet. Close your eyes. What do you think it is? What do you think it is? Oh, are you ready? Okay, open that big bad present. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's the car payment. Yay, you get to pay the car payment. Yeah. <laughs> Is that good? Do you like that present? Is that your is that what you wanted? Is it so cool? No. Harper Grace I'm about to open up her present. How exciting is that? Go ahead, open it up. Okay. Open it up, what'd you get? There you go, rip it, rip it, rip it. What is it? Oh, it's a box. It's a box, what? What's in the box? I don't know. Oh, we're about to find out. This is so exciting. <laughs> all right, here we go. Here we go, let's open it. Okay, all right. This is exciting. What do we got? What do we got? What is it? What can that be? What is it? Huh? What is that? What is it? I don't know. You don't know what that is? What else is there? Is there something else? Another one? What are these? Those are potatoes. Do you like it? You love potatoes? No. Oh, are you happy? Like you love the potatoes? I don't like potatoes. Oh. Hey, Ben. Hey, Ben, stop playing for a second. I got you something. I got you, I got, I got you something special. Are you excited? Wait, you, wait, are you really excited? Yes. It's something, wait, 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 look at me. It's something that is really good for you and delicious and something you've wanted for a long time. Okay, I, uh, I, 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 I think I've decided this. 
Yeah, you wanted this. He's exciting. It's so exciting. It's so exciting. Expectations. And hey. They, I saw the warning Bob put up there. PK asked us to do this. Listen, they came to me with that. They said, Pastor, is it all right if we play a mean prank of our kids? We don't like them. And I said, no, no. Uh, hey, one of my favorite Christmas movies uh, gets played on Christmas Eve. It gets played 24 hours around the clock. The whole movie is centered around this great expectation. Anybody know what it is? A Christmas story. I love, love, love that movie. In fact, one of my favorite memories was when Denise and I, along with her kids, and mom and dad went to see the live version uh, of this play. It, it's just, I love it. And, but the difference is where, Mary, uh, where Mariah Carey said, all I want for Christmas is you, Ralphie was like, all I want for Christmas is a Red Rider carbon action tuner shot range model BB gun. That's all I want. And that's all he expected. So what does he do? He begins to lay hints out. He begins to put these little hints. This is what I want. When that doesn't work, what does he do? He pleads his case to his mama. He pleads his case to his teacher. And then finally, he pleads his case to the Higsby store Santa Claus, to which all three reply the same way. How's that? What? You'll shoot your eye out. But even with that, Ralphie still is filled with expectations about, I want to get this BB gun. So you know what happens? The Christmas morning comes. Ralphie begins to tear into his present one after another till there is no more left to open. And you see the look of disappointment on his face. Why? Because the expectation wasn't met. But then what happens next is, it reminds me so much of the way of something my dad would do, and maybe that's why I love it. But Ralphie's dad says, well, son, did you get everything you asked for? To which Ralphie responds, almost. And his dad says, well, that's life. There's always next Christmas. And then he says, wait, wait, wait. What's that over there behind the desk? Check that out. Well, Ralphie, the music starts playing to let you know something's about to happen. Ralphie goes over there and begins to unwrap this gift, and lo and behold, it's his very own Red Rider Carbon Action 200-shot range model BB gun. And Ralphie is ecstatic. His dad loves the look on his face, not so much the look on his wife's face, but the look on Ralphie's face. And if you watch the movie, you know kind of what happens next. Ralphie goes outside. He sets up some practice targets to shoot at. He's shooting, I think it's maybe his very first shot. It ricochets off some, comes and hits him in the glasses. And he thinks, I've shot my eye out. That's what they told me would happen. Well, he finds out he didn't shoot his eye out. He just knocked his glasses off. He starts looking for his glasses. And what happens? He steps on him. So then he comes up with this elaborate story about how he broke his glasses and kind of everything from there, everything ends happy. You got that, but you know, dad had his expectations too, right? That turkey, that turkey. 
And so the dogs come in, take off with the turkey. They end up at a Chinese restaurant, and PC culture says not to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, to where they begin to sing to them, uh, deck the halls with boughs of hari, fa ra 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 And it's funny still today. Cancel me if you want. The movie ends with Ralphie lying in his bed, holding on to that, that, that tight, that gun, and the voiceover says this. This was the best Christmas gift he had ever received and ever would. So what was Ralphie's expectations that Christmas? The gun. What was his dad's expectation? What was the mom's expectation? Get rid of that leg lamp. She wanted rid of that. Here's my question. What is your expectations this Christmas? I'll give you some of mine. Here's what I fully expect this Christmas. I expect to eat way more than I need to. I expect to visit Dunkin' Donuts way more than usual or some other coffee shop because all my kids are and my wife are coffee snobs, for lack of a better word. Bo knows what I'm saying. Me and Bo just go along for the ride. Um, I expect to sit down with Denise and us last minute wrapping all of our gifts, the kids' gifts included. I expect to carry down, I've already got this on my list, carry down our ornaments from uh, upstairs in the attic, bring them downstairs. I expect to watch Christmas Vacation, Elf, Christmas with the Cranks, and a, a ton of Hallmark Christmas movies that are really all the same movie, just different characters. Um, I expect family to be there. Uh, here's one that expect, I expect you to show up at a Christmas Eve, Eve service. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are your expectations this Christmas? What are they? Because here's the truth about expectations. If you're taking notes, and I don't think it's working, guys, because I've hit it like three times. Expectations carry a predetermined idea of what we think will or should happen. Isn't that what we do when we go to God in our prayer time a lot of times? God, we don't say it like this, but here in reality, here's what it is. God, here's what I'm expecting of you. And here's the way I'm expecting you to do it. And here's the time frame I'm expecting it to get done. And then what happens if God doesn't live up or perform up to those expectations, we get frustrated, we get disappointed, and a lot of times we even get angry at God. Come on, am I, am I preaching truth? What if instead of us bringing expectations... And saying, God, this is what I expect of you. What if we began to live a life of expectancy? I'm going to tell you the, the, the difference in here. Where expect, expectations carry that predetermined idea in our minds of what we think will or should happen. Expectancy is this. It is an attitude of faith, hope, and trust. That's expectancy. Here's the big difference. When you live with expectancy... You're not holding on to your own expectations of how things should go 
or what what should happen. Expectancy is an attitude of like this. God, I don't know what or how you're going to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it, but I know you're going to do something. I know you are for me. I know your character. I know your heart for me. I know it's going to be good. So I choose to trust you with whatever you decide to do in this situation. That's living with expectancy. Let me say it another way. While expectancy is an attitude, expectation can become an idol in your life. It can become an idol. When we put these expectations up there, and this is what we're looking and believing we think should happen, but then it doesn't. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 if you got a Bible. If you don't, we're going to uh, pull the scripture up here. Um, most people, even if they, you didn't grow up in church, know the story of Adam, Eve, God, and the snake, or the serpent, the, uh, Satan. Uh, the serpent, Satan, comes to Adam and Eve, begins to lie to them, really, about the character of God. And that, that telling them that God doesn't want them to do this because, well, then it's going to make them just like God and begins to lie to them about his character. And, and in, even though Adam and Eve were in this perfect environment, they end up believing the lies of the enemy. Now, I'll admit this. This is not a passage you normally hear preached for a Christmas message. But, but I, I believe when we look at this passage today, what it's really about is about these two people that l believe the lie of the serpent, of the snake, of the enemy, and allowed him to change their expectations of, of God and what he should be doing. And in the end, their expectations, when they didn't get fulfilled, come through, it left them disappointed, frustrated, and broken. Adam and Eve had done the one thing that God told them not to do. And they're hiding from God in big surprise. You can't hide from God. And God knows, and he asks them, says, hey, hey, where, where are you guys at? Hey, I, this is usually the time of day we walk together, we talk together. And, and they say, well, hey, we were naked and we were ashamed. And this is where we're going to jump into the story today. Genesis 3, starting with verse 11. God said, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all, life, above all livestock and all wild animals. You, he's talking to the snake. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Verse 15, I'm declaring war. Get this right here. I'm declaring war between you, the snake, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. Her offspring will crush your head and you will strike her offspring's heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. 
verse 18, it will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Jump down to verse 21. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. I want to give you four truths from this story. Four truths. These are my gifts to you so you can say, Pastor, God, us a gift. Here's the first if you're taking notes. Our biggest problem doesn't come from the outside of us. It comes from the inside of us. Our biggest problems in life don't come from the outside. Here's what I mean. Our expectations that, that can bring disappointment, frustration. Get this, they can also be very dangerous to us. Why? Because almost always the expectations our own expectations are born out of our own selfishness and our own sin. What we want, what I want, this is what I, 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 is born out of that. That's why sin, the middle letter is I. It's born out of that sin. See, here's some truth for you. Our greatest problem isn't our failing marriage. Our greatest problem is not that spouse. Our greatest problem is not our addiction. Our greatest problem is not our sexual exploitation or our failing health. Our greatest problem is not our kids. Our greatest problem is not school, the workplace, co-workers, a boss, or teacher. No, those are symptoms of the problem. But our biggest problem is our own selfishness, our own sin. That's our biggest problem. And here's the thing, if our biggest problem comes from inside of us, then the antidote for that cannot come from inside of us. It has to come from outside of us. That's what Christmas is all about, guys. We have our own sin and selfishness inside of us, and we could not, we cannot save ourselves. We needed a Savior. We needed a redeemer. We needed hope. We're in desperate need of someone that could come in and make us whole and complete. So our biggest problem doesn't come from the outside. It's right here. The second truth I want to give you is this. Our world is filled with broken people, and broken people act in very broken ways. It always surprises me when Christians will get mad at non-Christians, non-believers. They'll hear them cussing. They'll hear them doing this, and, and they'll they, and sometimes get hateful. I'm like, hey, hey, they're sinners. They're doing what sinners do. Sinners sin. Why don't you do what a Christian is supposed to do and love? Come on. And live the kind of life you're supposed to live that will make them actually want to be what you are. Because I'm going to tell you, our world is filled with broken people. And broken people act in very broken ways. When Adam and Eve chose to believe the, the lies of Satan and, and, and willingly chose to rebel against God, here's what they were doing. They were choosing to place their own expectations of what God should do 
what their lives should look like, how God should respond, and they put their own expectations above God and his truth. How hurtful does that have to be to God? The people you created, the ones you gave life to, the ones you walked with, you talked with them, the one you, that you gave them everything they could possibly want and need. And they basically in that moment said, God, we don't trust you with our expectations. God, we don't trust that you have our best interest at heart. We don't trust that you want what's best for us. So we choose to reject your wisdom, your character, your love, and we choose to live life how we see fit on our own terms. And while we don't say that out loud, that's the way we live our life sometimes. When we allow our selfishness and our sin to rule in the moment, we're basically saying, God, you know what? I don't trust your character. I don't trust that you want what's best for me. I don't trust your heart, your integrity. So you know what? I'm going to live life on my own terms, how I want to. Let me ask some of you, how's that worked out for you? If we're being honest, not very well at all. See, here's what we fail to understand and what Adam and Eve didn't know at that time. But not only did Adam and Eve's sin affect them, it affected everything from that moment on. Up, in, up, up to that moment in history, there were no deformities, there were no miscarriages, there were no natural disasters, no injustice, no racism, no cancer, no addiction, no loss of pain. All of those things are a result of Adam and Eve's sin. And I tell you the truth, kids were never meant to go hungry. People were never meant to be homeless. We weren't meant to live our lives sick. We weren't even meant to die. Sickness, disease, death, hatred, racism, poverty, hunger, shame, addiction, homeless, homelessness, cancer. Uh, all those things are part of the brokenness that occurred when Adam and Eve chose their expectations above God. Let me say this. Don't be so naive to think that your sin only affects you. I mean, you talk with some of the broken people that have decided to change their lives. And that now, because of their brokenness, they're trying to get their kids back. They're trying to gain trust back with their parents. They're trying to get records erased so they can start to let. I'm telling you, it doesn't just affect you. The third truth. You can spend all your life running from God, but he will never stop pursuing you. <laughs> I mean, you can spend all your energy. I ran 2,500 miles away to California, Northern California. I exhausted all my money, was basically broke. And after two, two and a half years, had to call my mom, said, if you can get me a plane ticket back to Tennessee, I'll come back home. I'm telling you, God will never stop pursuing you. Sometimes that pursuit looks like you in jail for four years. If Casey was, here, was in here, he'd say amen. I think what happened with Casey and what happens with the others 
Casey was running so hard, and God said, oh, okay, let me put you in a place you can't run anymore. Look at verse 8 and 9 of Genesis 3. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? This reminds me, come on, how, how many have got kids that you play hide and seek with? Uh, I mean, and, and also when they're very little, you say, hey, okay, I'm going to count. You count, and you look up, and little Bobby's over here hiding behind a lamp, <laughs> thinking he's really good and hit. You got little Susie over there hiding behind the drapes, and you can see her knees down, and they think they're good and hit. That's the way we are with God. I think I'm, I think I'm, God can't find me here. I, I'm good. And the thing is, it, we're, we're not naked and ashamed. What we really are is afraid and ashamed. We're afraid we hide. We're afraid of others, what others might think if they knew what we, we did or what we're still doing. We're afraid that, hey, maybe I've gone too far this time. Maybe I've crossed the line one too many times. And so what happens, we're afraid, and we become, we live in shame. This Christmas, 2021, I've got some great news for you guys. I'm here to tell you and remind you that no matter how far you run from God, how long you've been running from God, no matter how long you've been trying to hide from God, he will never, ever stop pursuing you. His love is reckless. His love is relentless. His love does not play by our rules. Our rules is, I love you as long as you treat me a certain way. I love you as long as you do this. God says, I love you even in the worst moments of your life. If I can get Bob or Bob to come up. Here's how the psalmist put it in Psalms 139. He said, is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit, to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, can you change that for me back there, please? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute because you're there. Already waiting. You think you're running from God. See, I grew up hearing this, man. People would say, you, you think, oh, you think God's with you everything? You think he's going to walk into you with a bar, to a bar? Absolutely. God doesn't limit where he goes by what we say or do. I mean, if God would tell a man to marry a prostitute, knowing what she would do. And she ran out off and he sends him to buy her back. Don't tell me where God will and won't go or what lengths he won't go to. Here's what the writer's saying. If you'll stop running just for a moment, you'll find he's right there. He's right there. There's no hiding spot. There's no place you can hide from him. There's no drug house you can hide from him. There's no place, no underground place you can hide from him. 
There's no, you can't run halfway across the earth and be hiding from him. Guess what? When I flew from here to, or drove from here to California, God was waiting for me in Chico. And the thing is, he's not there to judge you. He's not there to hurt you or belittle you or shame you. He's pursuing you to make you whole. To make you complete. He's pursuing you because he knows the life he has for you. And that you're living well below that life right now. I make this statement and I stand by it. That God loves you right where you are, you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at. He loves you right there. But I also think the next part of what I say is important. He loves you enough that he will not leave you there and allow you to stay there. Because here's what I'm finding. This is not even in my notes. I feel led to go here. Here's what I'm finding in the culture, the Christian culture that we've created. We tell them to say a prayer, you're saved. But then nothing more is required. Nothing more. We ask nothing more. But I'm here to tell you, and I don't require anything from you. But here's what I found out. When I, when me and Denise, we were talking about this, when we first got married, the first couple years at least were not good years we were learning you know what I learned that I love this woman enough that some things in me had to change in order for me to get closer to her and her I love we need to fall in love with God so much that the very that our sin breaks our heart because we know it breaks his heart. So many of us, we're, we're in love with our expectations, what we want, what we idolize, what we thought should happen. And God is saying, listen, if you will slay those at my feet, what I have for you is greater than any expectation you could ever have for yourself. And I'm not talking about money. Sometimes better than money is a clean conscience. A lot of times, most of the time. Better than money, better than fame, is my relationship with my kids and my wife. Let me give you the fourth and final truth this Christmas. Hope is possible because our hope is in Jesus. My hope's not in the economy. My hope is not in the government, whether who I want is in office or who I don't want is in office. That's not where my hope is at. My, my hope is not in my expectations. My hope, my hope is not in sobriety. My hope is not in finding the right job. My hope is not in anyone or anything. Our hope has to be in Jesus and Jesus alone. 
or we will find ourselves frustrated and disappointed when our expectations aren't met. See, while a Christmas message coming from Genesis sounds kind of off if we're being honest, the reality is this. The first mention of Jesus is found in Genesis 3. Do you know it? After Adam and Eve chose their expectations above God, uh, God doesn't waste any time. He sees their brokenness. Their sin is causing. He goes into action. Look at verse 15 of Genesis 3. I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your, your offspring and her offspring. Her offspring, which is who? Jesus. Will crush your head. You may strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. That phrase, here's what's interesting. That phrase between your offspring and hers, the King James Version in older translations read this, between your seed and her seed. Anybody think that's odd? Because where does the seed come from? In pregnancy. We're grown-ups here. The man provides the do I need to? Okay. Make sure y'all are looking at it kind of funny. I'm like, we got an awful lot of kids for people not to know this lesson. I mean, it's kind of odd. Scholars even say that it's unusual because when the Bible normally refers to seed or offspring, it's referred to the seed belonging to a man. But here it says the seed of woman, the offspring of woman. Her offspring will crush the head of Satan. Why does God say it that way? The answer, guys, is a huge part of the Christmas story. It's the only, only time in history this will ever happen. A seed gets planted in the young virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. That seed grows to become the Son of God who would one day crush the head of the serpent. See, in Genesis 3.15, God is saying, the brokenness that just happened will not be permanent. The brokenness that Adam and Eve just caused, it's not a permanent thing. It's not Satan's rebellion, it's not going to be permanent. The damage, the brokenness, the mess in you, the mess in this world, it will not be permanent. It will not write the final chapter of the story. The final story will read something like this. The serpent, our enemy, Satan, was crushed, defeated. He struck at Jesus' feet. He got a few bites in, a few strikes in. But Jesus will deliver the final crushing blow that will completely demolish the enemy. Merry Christmas! I love the way C.S. Lewis, in, in his book, Mere Christianity, here's what he said. Bring that quote up. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us all to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Christianity agrees this universe is at war. In the garden of Eden, the first garden, 
God tells Adam and Eve, obey me, trust me. You'll have life. In the second garden, the garden of Gethsemane, God tells his son, Jesus, trust me. Listen to me. This tree, the cross, you will be broken. You will suffer pain. You will be crucified and you will die. But Jesus, they will live because of this. A final point. Jesus climbed the tree of death for him that became a tree of life for us. For us. Adam and Eve's selfish disobedience brought death and brokenness into our world. Jesus' act of obedience and surrender brought life, healing, freedom, deliverance, and salvation to anybody that wants it. John said it like this in 1 John 3, 8. The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. The vo- I love the way the voice translates. It's like this. says, This is why the Son of God came into our world, to destroy the plague of destruction inflicted on the world by the diabolical one. That's what Christmas is all about. Him coming to deliver the blow to Satan, our enemy. That's what Jesus did through the cross, through his resurrection. Remember John 3, 15, God told Satan, you will strike his heel, but he's going to crush your head. Check out this, Romans 16, 20. I love this. Before you know it, the God of peace will come down on Satan with both feet, stomping him into the dirt. And I love the way it says, enjoy the best of Jesus. In other words, I know things look bad. I know it looks, I know your expectations may not be a man, but if you will trust in me, if your expect, expectancy will live and trust my heart for you, before you know it, the God of peace is going to come down on Satan with both feet, stomping him into the dirt, and then enjoy the best of Jesus. Let me ask you, are you living with expectations or expectancy, an attitude of expectancy? See, my expectancy is not in politics. Are you hearing me? If people were as passionate about the cross and about Jesus as about who they vote as they are about who they vote for, we would see revival. My expectancy is not in politics. My expectancy is not in a pill. It's not in a bottle. My expectancy isn't in a vaccine. My expectancy is not in a job. My expectancy is not in a new car. It's not in sex. It's not in a prescription. It's not in a new relationship. It's not in winning the lottery. It's not in whether things work out the way I think they should work out or hope they are. My expectancy is in one place, Jesus, and he is the hope for the world. That's where my expectancy Stand with me across this room. There's a great prophecy. In Hosea, that I want to close out with. And I want you to listen as if this prophecy is speaking directly to you. 
because I believe it is. Clean living, this is for every one of you women. Wherever you're at in your journey, this is for you. Listen, Hosea 2.15. I will give back her vineyards to her and turn the valley of trouble into an opportunity for hope. There she will sing as she did when she was young. You remember when you were young and you dreamed? You remember when you were young and you thought anything was possible? You remember when you were young and you believed you could do anything? I'll give back her vineyards to her. I will turn her valley of trouble into an opportunity for hope. And there she will sing as she did when she was young. Jesus before I spoke a word just say that Bob before I spoke a word you were singing over me you have been so so good to me before I took a breath before I took a breath you breathe your Heads bow in this place right now. Everyone in this house, those watching online, if you feel the presence of God, Holy Spirit drawing you, And you've lived your life outside of God's plan for you. You've been trying it your own. And you're tired of running. And today you want him to wrap his arms around you, embrace you, and welcome you home. With the heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. That's what I want to do. I'm going to say a prayer. I want you to pray it with me. Everyone, I want you, everyone in this room to repeat it with me also. Dear Father, thank you for today. Thank you for reminding me how much you love me, that you never give up on me, that you always pursue me. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. But you give your love away. 
And right now, I surrender to your heart. Take my mind, my life, my heart, my spirit. It's yours. Forgive me for all my sin, all my selfishness. And I surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can look up. I'm going to ask our prayer team to come down. If you raise your hand, I want one of these people to join with you and pray with you. But I'm also, there have been some people in here that your expectations about health, about a sickness, about a marriage, about a child haven't been met and you need to just release it to God and say, God, I trust you with this. Whatever whatever you want, God, even if it's not what I think how it should be, I'm giving it to you. And today you need to release that to God. So along with those that raise their hand and pray that prayer, I'm going to count to three and I want you to step out from where you're at. And we're going to believe God is going to set some people free. One, two, three. Come on, they're coming. Yeah, absolutely. 